practically speaking, one has to, uh, one thing I would say is, um, Extending uh, your frame of reference to outside the organization. Uh, in the past, um, practical market data hasn't really been available. A lot of it's, you know, driven by historical economic metrics, um, things that are reported on usually once a year, um, not, you know, not reported on a very granular level. That's changing. Uh, the ability to tap into real time data about what's happening in the labor market, including the ability to see your own organization as others see it, um, is a huge shift. Welcome to We're Only Human, a podcast focused on blending research and practical advice to help today's HR, talent, and learning leaders improve business outcomes. Let's welcome your host, Ben Eubanks. Hey, everybody. Welcome to We're Only Human. This is Ben Eubanks, your host, and I'm so glad to have you here. Today, we're going to have such a fun show, and I've said it before, I love recording shows about things that I'm personally interested in. And guess what? The rest of you get just get to listen in. You get the the benefit of that. You get the to have uh, you know to hear the fun and hear the conversation. So today I'm really excited to talk to Carrie Sparrow because we're going to talk about skills and data and market pricing jobs and all kinds of things like that. It's going to be all kinds of uh, nerdy fun, but this is super valuable because number one, I've actually just finished some research around compensation practices, things like that, and one of the things I'll drop the, the quote on Carrie in a little bit. I want him to respond to it live, but um, it really surprised me to see how little discipline companies have around planning for their compensation rates, things like that. So we'll talk about that a little bit. Um, but the big question we're going to talk about is what if you could price not just a job, we're always used to pricing a job, what if you could price an actual skill? And again, we're going to dive into some of that stuff. So Carrie, enough preamble. Welcome to the show, sir. Thank you, Ben. It's, uh, it's great to be on your show. Awesome. Well, I'm glad to have you. Again, it's going to be a great conversation. I'm going to try to limit it to like seven hours of conversation, maybe. Maybe that, maybe that much. Who knows? Um, so to start off, tell us a little about who you are and what you do. Yeah, I'm Kerry Sparrow, as you mentioned. I'm the CEO of Greenwich.hr. We're a labor market intelligence firm. We track real-time demand for jobs. Uh, we track who's hiring, what they're paying, what skills they need, how hard it is to fill positions, we do it on a real-time basis. We take a snapshot of all the open jobs in the U.S. every day, um, and we're able to track about 70% of, of uh, the labor market that way. Uh, we've compiled a data set that is the fastest growing in the world and very shortly will be the largest in the world as well. Wow, that is pretty incredible. So do you eat, sleep, and breathe numbers? Uh, is that what you do all day long? Numbers, systems, and data structures. Yep, that's what we do. What is your background? You know, a friend of mine called me a purple squirrel. I've got a background that uh, that uh, really varies. Uh, I went to school to be a computer engineer. I joined the Navy as a submarine officer. Then I went into management consulting and uh, led uh, global uh, global consulting practice uh, for a firm um, many people on this call will be familiar with, Towers Perrin, now Willis Towers Watson, uh, and uh, became, you know, uh, very in-depth on the setup and, and optimization of HR functions. I joined a very large company, uh, Cargill, about uh, 11 years ago and was responsible for um, helping to build out their global HR capabilities, all their systems and processes and data uh, structures and so forth. Uh, and then I founded Greenwich.HR about four years ago uh, to really take advantage of an opportunity uh, we were seeing around bringing more real-time uh, data into the understanding of what's happening with the labor market. 
wow, that's a pretty incredible career path. So I'm going to give you a – I'm going to make the the assumption that you're a reader. I have no clue. Maybe you are or not. Just just nod along with me. Um, I just started a new book that I think you'd enjoy just because of your, your breadth of experience. It's called Range about how the people that are the best in their field are the ones that don't go really deep into one discipline and never do anything else. The ones that are the best are the ones that have a broad range of experiences because they can bring those different strengths to, to play. Anyway, there's a there's a book recommendation for you. I can never get away from a conversation without throwing one out there, it feels like. Um, and thank you for your service in the Navy, too. I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, I have to I have to say that, um, you know, my own career has benefited from lots of different experiences. And I know this is true for lots of other folks out there. So the the premise of the book that you that you just mentioned, I agree with. And I would say that the the data also supports that there's a lot of, you know, related disciplines that span multiple kinds of careers, multiple kinds of jobs uh, that uh, we can perhaps talk about this a little bit more that I think companies uh, would really benefit from having more visibility on and take advantage of, especially in this perennially tight labor market. Yes. So that's a that's a good segue. Let's let's dig into that part of it. So the the question I kind of had set up for you was, should we be looking at the job market not as just jobs, but as almost a bundle of skills instead? Because there's there's again, I know you have some data on this. I'd love to hear from you. Explain a little more about what that looks like because. For the the average HR person listening to this, they might not realize that we that that data even exists today. And so I'd love for you to kind of explain what that what that would look like, how that's possible. Even it seems almost like black magic. Explain how those things are possible. Um, just start us off there, and then we can continue the conversation. Sure. And I would say, you know, that just the you know one of the headlines is that when you look at you know when you look at the labor market, not just through the lens of you know what jobs are companies hiring for, but what skills are they hiring for. Um, it's like the difference between, you know, listening to kind of one of those old time radio shows and watching a movie in high definition. Right. So it's it's not necessarily, um, uh, you know, the basics of the story are there when you're listening to radio, but you really get a much profoundly richer experience uh, when you weave in the uh, uh, the data about skills. And in many cases, that richer experience leads you to very different conclusions that you would have uh, than if you were just looking at kind of the market for jobs. And when I talk about the market for jobs, I'm talking about, you know, traditional titles like, you know, nurse or um, operations manager or, you know, software engineer or things that can be, you know, that fit in, into, you know, a traditional, you know, for the HR audience, a traditional job catalog um, that tend to be title based. And we have kind of a common understanding of what those titles are. But when you drill down and you say, what skills are you actually looking for? Um, that's when you see things like different programming languages for IT jobs, different operational environments like, but um, like, um, you know, is it uh, um, is it remote uh, versus you have to be, you know, there uh, in your seat every day? Is it which does it require multiple languages? Is it you know, multilingual. Uh, are there certain leadership uh, traits and leadership skills uh, that are required, like being able to influence broad audiences? Uh, are there very specific attributes of, of the job, like if you're in um, uh, if you're in uh, construction, for example, that you need to know certain types of equipment platforms uh, that you're you have to be able to work on? Um, that's the level of detail that we're able to capture. There's a little bit of context in terms of why are we able to capture that, and because we we take advantage of the richness of what companies are advertising for their jobs, and and you know, with my own experience working with HR systems and HR processes and HR data, 
I will tell you that the data that sits within HR systems in, 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 in most companies, in fact, nearly all companies, I haven't seen one yet that's not true. It pales in comparison to the amount of uh, intelligence that is embedded in, in a, uh, in a job listing. Cause job listings are marketing tools. They're designed to tell, uh, they're designed to tell candidates in the world everything that's necessary about that job and also all the reasons why you would want to come to it. So there's lots of information about the company themselves. We're able to take kind of a defined structure around what to look for on those. Um, and because they're all company reported, uh, we're able to bring it all into a common you know, data structure. And then we're able to set it up in a way that we ourselves, but most importantly, our clients can mine that data uh, to really to be able to look at almost any question they could think of in terms of what's happening uh, in the market for jobs. So so that was a long-winded answer to say that um, absolutely the mark, you know, being able to look through the lens, the skills lens at what's happening with, with jobs uh, tells you so much more, uh, so much more that's important about what's happening in the labor market, especially uh, when you're dealing with so many, you know, what are increasingly being called inverted labor markets where the demand for talent far out, you know, is far greater than uh, the available supply. And when you click down a level in terms of what people are really looking for, what employers are really looking for, they're really looking for specific skills. So if you don't have the data on those skills, uh, you don't have the data in terms of, you know, who's hiring them and whether there are pay premiums associated with them, you're really kind of operating blindly, which is what most companies are doing right now. So to boil that down, that last piece you're talking about, if you do not have that granularity, that visibility into the skills specifically, you're just throwing it out there as a as a generic job, it is you're going to end up being either above or below in some of those cases, right? The, the software examples, things like that, you'll end up being below market. And so you're going to have a lot of issues with trying to find the right candidates, correct? Well, that's right. And, and especially when you find the right candidates, you're going to be late in terms of what the market's looking for and your pay levels are going to be off. Um, and it's especially true for high demand uh, skills. And I yeah, I have, here, here's an example. Um, there's just so many ways that kind of traditional job data uh, falls short, especially compared to what the, the view when you look at skills tells you. And, and one of those is really location differences. Uh, so it turns out that the skills requirements for similar jobs across different locations look very different in most cases, not just occasionally, but in most cases. One example I like to point to is nurses. So everyone knows that um, uh, the market for nurses is has been tight for years. Um, there's been far fewer nurses than there have been demand. Uh, it's been kind of a national uh, view. But so you'd think that uh, a lot of the practices associated with finding nurses, keeping nurses, paying nurses would have a lot of common threads across you know all locations. But when you, again, click down a level and look at the different skills, you find that what's required in different cities what's commanding premium, what's allowing companies to fill the nursing positions as quickly as they need to looks very different. Um, in Atlanta, for example, um, the emphasis on on very high-paying skills for nurses emphasizes things that are related to research, statistics, and project management. Um, if you shift over and look at Dallas, uh, it's clinical specialties. Uh, if you, you know, go north and look at Chicago, it's financial acumen and operations acumen. All those things are a bit reflective of you know, the local business ecosystem in each of those markets. And when you pull back, you say, well, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, 
Um, but if you look at data that's you know tr- traditionally available to companies, you wouldn't see any of that. And so your ability to put together recruiting strategies, your ability to put together uh, cogent uh, pay practices um, is really you know limited uh, without the ability to look and say you know what are you know what's happening with the demand for specific skills in the markets that we operate in. So uh, I almost forgot. I mentioned at the very beginning I was going to throw a throw a quote at you and get your get your take on it. So just wrapping up a a report recently on compensation and how companies kind of set pay rates. They're going to offer people, they're going to promote people, things like that. And overall, and the the big thing that I came away after talking to dozens of employers surveying almost 600 companies, the big thing I came away with was companies spend so much time and effort managing their like $500 petty cash drawer, but they spend very little time and have very little rigor around how they plan and manage their compensation structures. I'd love to get your take on that. Do you think that's accurate? Do you think I'm off base there? Yeah, I, I, I actually do think you're accurate. What what you described for me brings to mind of, you know, it's very different if you look at um, what's the band of uh, merit merit raises you want to be able to give next year um, across all the different jobs uh, in the organization versus taking a step up and saying of the hundreds of millions or, you know, for many companies or even billions for large company that we spend on on talent, what's the best way to optimize the spend and get the, the most productivity out of it? And most folks are down in the weeds in terms of managing, you know, tens of percentage points um, for individual jobs, and they don't spend as much time looking at kind of the bigger picture. I call it uh, managing small dollar problems versus big dollar problems. I like that. I'm going to have to remember that one. That's a that's a quotable quote right there. Um it, it just blew me away, I guess. Like you said, I think the exact term was what you – like you said, $500 versus millions of dollars depending on the size of the company. And they're, they're just not prioritizing how to how to run that the right way, how to target those things. And it starts to show up in areas like you're talking about here. You know, if we're going to give an offer to someone and we don't have it really targeted and in line with the kind of job that we, that we want, that we're trying to recruit for, we're recruiting – more generally for a generic software engineer or a generic nurse, assuming they're all the same, and we're going to end up having a lot of issues, offer rejections, poor candidate experience because they go through the process and they find out we're we're offering much less in the market because we've underestimated the specific skills that and the premiums that are associated with them. So just lots of issues crop up there, and it, it surprised me to see how little discipline there was focusing on those things. Although, again, this is the world you live in, so that probably doesn't surprise you as much. Right. I mean, I think that there's a, a heavy bias towards kind of standardizing processes and standardizing policies. And the more that you're able to get granular on data, um, the more you're able to um, hone those those pro- processes and, and policies in to fit the, the local conditions um, and the things that are going to be essential for your business. So let me ask you a question. You mentioned some skills a minute ago for nurses. Give us some, some examples of those. And most of those, you know, project management, clinical type specialties, financial acumen, those are some hard skills, right? but some specific technical skills. Do you see any interesting variations on the soft skill side? Is it is there enough data for that? Are companies even asking for those things? Is there any trend there? I'm just kind of curious broadly. Uh, that's a that's been a, a conversation point for me this year with different employers asking. They're, they're turning in that direction, it seems like. But I, I don't know if there's any data to support that or not. So in terms of kind of a general trend towards more soft skills or less or fewer soft skills or, you know, specific areas of emphasis, what we're seeing is a little bit different than that, actually. Um, 
yes, uh, the leadership skills, interpersonal skills, um, being able to operate effectively in an organization, those types of things are very prevalent in what companies are, are looking for. How prevalent and how important they are is really kind of interesting. We have an academic partner up in the Northeast, one of the you know big engineering uh, uh, institutions in, in the Northeast, looked at uh, what influences companies' ability to attract, in this case, data scientists. And what they found was they were able to segment out, you know, different types of companies um, and different profiles uh, for data scientists that were being sought. And when they looked at how long it was taking for those companies to fill those positions, you know, that's what defined these these segments. And what are the differences across the segments? It turns out to be kind of surprising. It wasn't so much the hard skills. Um, in a lot of cases, it was uh, it was the softer skills, you know, what you're calling the, the softer skills. Um, what the organization dynamics were like and what was going to be required to operate in those organization dynamics. And cutting ahead to kind of what was the conclusion around this, companies that were starting, you know, that had an established uh, IT organization with an analytics or a data capability in it that were hiring data scientists into that were looking for a very different profile of person than companies that were um, going to be embedding data scientists within operations organizations or in other organizations across across the company. And those folks were looking for a very different profile of person uh, than to fill the data science role than organizations where their business was data science and um the data scientist was much more uh, involved in in product delivery, and it wasn't again the hard skills that made the difference. It was you know what what does it take to be effective in that you know in those organizations, and that was an insight that you know so think about that. How do you segment the companies that are looking for uh, a specific kind of a job or a specific kind of skill? You're talking about an entirely new dimension. It's not industry. It's not geography. It's not size. Suddenly, it's organization culture and organization structure uh, that has an influence over, you know, what is it going to take to be effective in those roles? And, and as you know, you've reported on many, many times, um, fit and um, organization capability, organizational savvy are so often the determinants of that. So that blows me away to hear it from that perspective. It's, it's really incredible because we did a, a study a few years ago around performance and culture and engagement, kind of wrapping those pieces together about how we perform at work. And one of the key things when we looked at the data, we split it apart, all, all these different cuts, and one of the most glaring differences is when we looked at it by culture, it turns out that companies that have a more con controlling type culture where we some of those examples you were just talking about, right? We're going to fit you into this box that we have already established for you. Those companies were more likely to say that we have to keep our thumb on you because you're not able to manage your own performance. You're not able to manage your own job. We're going to have to just hold, hold you down and put the structure around you to make sure that you do the stuff we need you to do. Whereas companies that had a more collaborative or a creative type culture, they were more likely to say, you are here because we value what you have and we think you're going to be more valuable tomorrow than you are today. And so we are looking for everything we can do to take away any sort of hindrances or burdens or hurdles that are going to prevent you from being better tomorrow than you are today. And so it's interesting hearing like this corollary, this, this kind of you know, parallel track that you found in, in that research to see that you know, that culture thing isn't just a everyone wants to call it the soft squishy stuff, but there are hard metrics that do align with that if you look from the right perspectives. Yep, that's right. Interesting. Very cool. Okay.
So one of the other things I'll ask you about, we talked before the before the interview started about some of the mad science stuff you guys. I'm just going to go ahead and label mad science. Why not? Um, some of the mad scientist stuff that you guys are doing um, around predicting company performance. Would you willing to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, we can talk about it a little bit. Um, I think it blends into what, what we were just we were just speaking to actually. So um, we uh, our data platform serves lots of different uh, constituents. Um, we have obviously folks that are looking at HR uh, processes like compensation and uh, strategic workforce planning and recruiting and so forth. But we also have clients that uh, look at uh, our data through the lens of economics or through the lens of investment or through the lens of media. So we have media companies uh, that publish our data. We have economists that use our data to you know find out what's going on in specific aspects of the economy. And we also have hedge funds uh, that uh, are interested in our data as indicators of um, uh, companies' uh, financial health, uh, operational health, um, leading trends from that standpoint. And we've actually sponsored several studies that had really drilled into that question uh, and found that uh, for a number of segments of companies, um, the hiring behaviors of those companies is actually a very, very uh, strong predictor of future financial performance. If you're able to use the right the right input metrics they do some advanced modeling on it um, your point about um, advanced science this is really kind of at the cutting edge but what's one of the things that's very interesting about that is first of all the companies where you can use hiring uh, behaviors to predict future financial performance one or two even quarters out um, are spread across all different industries right so they're not just concentrated in the industries that are you know have a heavy workforce emphasis to them um, they're spread across all industries but equally fascinating or maybe even more fascinating to me is that there's also a segment of companies where the relationship is the opposite where instead of hiring behaviors predicting future financial performance current financial performance predicts future hiring behaviors so you know then the, and these companies are spread across all industries. In a lot of cases, you could take one company that's in, in one segment and, and, and a company that's in the opposite segment and put them side by side, and they would be classified traditionally as being very similar, similar size, similar revenues, similar industry, similar customer base. And yet their relationship between hiring and um, financial performance is completely opposite. So why is that? And and the the hypothesis that we're beginning to you know gather more information on is that it's all about leadership emphasis, not just you know what leaders say, but the systems that have built up over time in terms of how the workforce is actually managed. So do you, to your point earlier, are you bringing people into an organization where you know that your um, operations capacity and your financial capacity depend on investing into uh, uh, your talent capacity? Um, or do you really manage your hiring uh, much more as a cost to be managed in the organization? And we're seeing you know, two distinct segments of, of companies um, emerging from that lens. And uh, the folks that, that we work with are thrilled by this this kind of insight uh, because it goes beyond any way to segment uh, segment organizations than has existed before and allows a much more precise way to construct models. And in this case, we're dealing with hedge funds that have, you know, very advanced modeling capability um, and it allows them to um, bring more predictive capability in terms of what they're doing. That's wild. I just, I love the, the idea there of being able to predict those things and to see those as outcomes in other areas. Um, so much, so many of the conversations that I have on like a really micro level at a very ground level kind of view from HR is that we need to prove the value to the business. We need to show that we're having an impact. We need to show that the things we're doing matter. 
And what I love about that research and the modeling that you're talking about here is that if you step back far enough, you can see some really interesting impacts around culture, behaviors, the way you believe as a company, the way you're leading people. Those things do have an impact, and it's it's easy to sometimes get that stuff lost in the kind of the hustle and bustle, the day-to-day just churn of getting stuff done. But the, just the data is so interesting. Again, for me as a, as a kind of research nerd, I love hearing those kinds of insights because that, like you said, this is cutting edge. This is brand new. This, no one else is doing this kind of thing yet. And so I'm, I'm really excited to see and kind of follow and uh, hear as you guys continue to develop that out and what, what sort of things kind of emerge. Uh, okay. We've talked over a lot of topics. We've dug into skills. We've dug into a little mad science, some other things. Um, culture was a piece of this. Comp and pay. I would love for you to give us kind of a, a takeaway, a best practice, a suggestion, anything you've got. Um, yeah. Again, you're talking to couple thousand HR leaders right now they're they're sitting here they're they're leaning forward in their seat they want to hear from you as the expert in labor market intelligence they want to hear from you what sort of things can they do to get better results to be a little smarter about their practices anything that's going to help them on a practical level so practically speaking one has to uh, one thing I would say is um, extending uh, your frame of reference to outside the organization Uh, in the past um, practical market data hasn't really been available a lot of it's you know, driven by historical economic metrics, um, things that are reported on usually once a year, um, not, produ- you know, not reported on a very granular level. That's changing. Uh, the ability to tap into real-time data about what's happening in the labor market, including the ability to see your own organization as others see it, um, is a huge shift. And it, it can tell you so much more about what's, what's actually happening. So many things that we, um, we make assumptions on that sound very good really are rooted in an absence of data, right? There, there are things that ways that we think about how we should approach pay, how we should re- approach recruiting that are based on kind of our own, our own historical um, experience, but really aren't, um, aren't based on um, actual data because the actual data hasn't existed. Now it exists. So extending your frame of reference to in- incorporate um, that external market view with really rich data, I think is a huge leap forward for organizations. The other thing I would say, though, that's the counter to that is don't change out everything that you know all at once or expect anyone else to either. One of the best practices that we're seeing, especially when it comes to pay and hiring, and especially with HR audiences, is to layer on the real-time insights, market insights, on top of what you already have. So we've got uh, a number of clients, for example, um, that have incorporated our forward-looking predictive views on um, what companies are hiring or will be hiring and what they will be paying folks with their historical views of what, you know, from data from traditional salary surveys that shows what companies have been paying in the past side by side. Uh, so instead of trying to impose one new framework on uh, the HR organization and your, you know, your business partners, extending the value that you bring in to show things kind of side by side in more of a similar framework. So you can say, here's where things have been. And also here's where things are going. And then being able to, you know, continue to build, build value on top of that, rather than being the, you know, the team that is constantly bringing in something new and shiny um, that folks have to learn. It's take advantage of what new capabilities exist, but do it in a way that builds off of what you've already introduced. So those are the two things that, you know, I think uh, come immediately to mind. Um, not surprisingly, a lot of them has, uh, you know, the themes there have to do with with change management, changing your own frame, frame of reference and then um, 
approaching your constituents in a way that makes it easy for them to extend their frame of reference too. There's lots of other things that we could talk about in terms of how to get even more value from market insights, but I think just to change a reference uh, is a great starting point. Yeah, absolutely. Well, again, and going back to your your recurring theme to the conversation, it's not just going to them and saying, hey, this is a good idea, but hey, here's some data to back this up. Here's some numbers. Here's some, some proof, some evidence, because it's so much easier to have a conversation with the leadership team of your company or, or whoever's in charge of making those kind of decisions, if it's not just, hey, this is Ben's you know, gut feeling or Ben's view of the world, but here's the data that I've been able to, to kind of find to support this hypothesis, support this direction to make that happen. So definitely, definitely agree with that. Um, and like your, your suggestion to look outside the business, so often we get kind of bogged down and when what's going on and we miss those cues and, and other things and um, you don't want to get left behind. So good, good points, love that. If someone wants to learn more, connect with you, what's the best way to do that, Kerry? They went online at www.greenwich.hr, G-R-E-E-N-W-I-C-H.hr. Awesome. Very cool. I'll make sure and get that in the show notes. I just want to thank you for joining me. This has been a lot of fun for me. And again, I, I'd imagine everyone else that's that's hearing some of these things the first time. You and I had the benefit of having this conversation a while back, and I've been, been meaning to have you on the show, and I'm glad we finally made that happen because I'm really excited for other people to learn more about this idea of using real-time intelligence to help them make better decisions. So thank you for joining me today. Hey, thanks for having me on. It's been a real pleasure. Awesome. To everybody else, this has been Eubanks, your host, and we'll catch you next time. Thank you for listening to We're Only Human. Please take a moment to share this episode with another HR leader who might see it as a valuable resource in their daily work. For more information about the podcast and to see all our show archives, please visit upstarthr.com.